0: The following is a recording from ACF Church in Eagle River, Alaska. If you would like to join us on a Sunday morning, we would love to have you be our guest. Service times are 9 and 11 a.m. We hope you'd consider partnering in the work God is doing here by joining a life group, serving, and giving. If you would like to give financially to the mission of ACF Church, you can safely give by texting a donation amount to 907-341-4213. Now prepare your hearts to hear God's word. Good morning, ACF. Oh, come on, it's a beautiful day outside, and that's where I get, yeah, good morning. Good morning, ACF. Oh, that's so much better. My name is Josh. I'm the family pastor here at ACF, and I'm excited to be with you guys this morning, um, if go ahead and grab your Bibles right now, we're going to turn to Galatians chapter 5, verse 16. Um, if you don't have a Bible, don't own a Bible, there will be one around you, probably in the seat in front of you. Grab that. Now you have a Bible. Put your name in it. Take it home. That's yours if you don't own one. We just want to give you that. Um, also, if you didn't receive the notes this morning when you walked in, uh, we have our new ACF um, um, website. And you can go there on your mobile device, acfak.org. If you go there right now, you're going to see a blue bar going across the top of your screen. If you just tap that bar, it's going to take you straight to our notes. Uh, so you can jump on with our notes. Uh, so we've been in a series called Anchored Soul. And uh, we've been talking about how Christ uh, is the anchor for our soul. It talks about in Hebrews chapter 6. And during this series, it's been it's been a lot of fun. I've really enjoyed kind of the topics and the things we've been talking about uh, here as a staff during Anchored Soul. Because we've tackled some pretty big um, ideas, some concepts, some topics. We've walked through some heavy things. Uh, we've talked about things like uh, we we need a savior over a system. And we talked about how, you know, it doesn't matter if you do all the right things because it's not about the system. You can come to church every day for your entire life, and that's not what saves you. You know, you can read your Bible every day for your entire life, that's not what saves you. It's the Savior who saves you, not the system. Um, We've talked about things like depression and and how is Christ an anchor for our soul when we're walking through depression. Uh, We talked about things like God's will. Right, That's an easy one. Uh, What does God's will look like? How is my soul anchored to God in the midst of his will and my will? And what does that look like? So we've had some pretty uh, awesome topics and fun things we've talked about. And today, uh, I get the easy one, right? Brian's like, here, just take this easy one as we're going to talk about the Holy Spirit. Right? Simple, easy, and uh, I'm I'm, ex- I'm really excited to talk about that. But as you're in Galatians <clears throat>, chapter 5, verse 16, I want to start by reading this. And if you don't have your Bible, you can see it on the screen behind me. <clears throat> so I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh, For the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit, the Spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other, so that you are not to do whatever you want, but you are to be led by the Spirit, Or, but but if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. So this morning we're talking about this idea of tethered. The title to today's message is tethered, that if, if Christ is the anchor for our soul, how are we tethered to that anchor? Right? Are we just to hold on with all of our might and all of our grip and just hold on for dear life? Or is there something that ties us to Christ? Like I said, this morning we're talking about the Holy Spirit. and, And when I start to say that, as I'm saying that, everybody's getting a different picture, a different idea of what that means in your mind and in your heart. Right? And a lot of it depends on, like, kind of even where you grew up. If you grew up northeast, east coast, south, midwest, west coast, northwest, just by growing up in those areas, you're going to have a different understanding and idea of who the Holy Spirit is. If you grew up Baptist, Methodist, Presbyterian, Assemblies of God, Christian Missionary Alliance, like, if you grew up in the church in that sense, or didn't grow up in the church at all, You're going to have a different understanding and maybe idea in your mind of who the Holy Spirit is. So as soon as I start talking Holy Spirit, this room is full of different opinions on that. And so what I want to do today is talk about what Scripture says, who the Holy Spirit is, and how that affects us in our life. And how does that tether us to Christ? So to start... Before we can really talk about who the Holy Spirit is, I think we first need to really have a good understanding of who the Holy Spirit is not. I mean, there's all these ideas and concepts that we kind of bring, some baggage that we bring to the table when we start talking about the Holy Spirit. And so I want to talk about a couple quick things of who the Holy Spirit is not. Now, tomorrow is a great national holiday. It is May the 4th, right? Let me say early May the 4th be with you for tomorrow. You know, we have the new Star Wars movies coming out. Come on, who's excited for the new Star Wars movies that are being released? Thank you, Disney, for prying those away from George's hands, uh, who has destroyed a great thing. Um, so I don't know about you, most people in this room are familiar with Star Wars. I had a favorite Star Wars growing up. Mine was Empire Strikes Back. And yes, and, and I'm sure all of you guys have a favorite Star Wars. Let me just say this. If your answer to what is your favorite Star Wars is either episode one, two, or three, get out. All right, just get out. You don't need to be here at all anymore. And so just leave. All right, that is not a correct answer. For me, it was Empire Strikes Back, and I don't know what it was, it, the snow battle at the beginning. I, I loved the snow when I was a kid. I still love the snow. Glad I'm in Alaska, uh, but I don't know if it was a snow battle or as we find out that Darth is Luke's dad. I don't know what it was, but I loved Empire Strikes Back, and I remember as a kid, every time I'd get sick, dad, go to the video store, rent me Empire Strikes Back, and I would watch it over and over again. I couldn't wait to get sick. And uh and there's a scene in Empire Strikes Back, right? Luke goes to the Dagobah system and he's going to learn to be a Jedi master. And he meets this creature named Yoda, and Yoda agrees to teach him how to use the force. Right? And so Luke starts practicing and he does cool things like stand on one hand and like lift rocks with the force, right? He runs through this swampy forest thing and he like does flips with Yoda on his back. Pretty awesome because that's how you use the force. And so he's, he's training and he's learning and he's training. And then all of a sudden there's this scene where Yoda's like, okay, see your jet? Luke had crashed his jet into the swamp water and it's like halfway submerged. You guys know the story. And, and Yoda's like, okay, get it out. And Luke's like, I can't, it's too big. And Yoda's like, no, use the force and get it out. So Luke's like, all right. So he, he musters up everything inside of him. And he's like, Gah! and he's using the force and the water starts bubbling and the jet starts lifting up and Yoda's like, yes. And then all of a sudden he's like, oh, it's too heavy. And it sinks back down in the water. And Luke walks over to Yoda and a super annoying voice says, you ask the impossible, right? And he, he walks and storms off and has this little hissy fit. And then Yoda just kind of turns and looks at the jet and he uses the force and he picks the jet up out of the water and he springs it over and he sets it down on dry land and Luke comes over and, I don't believe it. What does Yoda say? That is why you fail. (laughs) Right? And, And so often as Christians, we tend to view the Holy Spirit as the force. Point number one is the Holy Spirit is not the force the Holy Spirit is not the force. And we laugh and we joke and I was thinking about that. It's really funny, but it's so true in the way we, we think about the Holy Spirit. See, what did Luke do? He goes and he learns and he's understanding. He, he's getting all this knowledge of the, of the force. So what? So he can control the force and make the force work for him and do his bidding. As Christians, don't we do that all the time? We want to understand the Holy Spirit so I can control the Holy Spirit. So I can make the Holy Spirit do what I want it to what I want it to do. I want a new this, so Holy Spirit, make it happen. I need a new job. Holy Spirit, make it happen. Right? This person needs to be healed. Holy Spirit, make I want to control the Holy Spirit. But in reality, it is supposed to be the exact opposite of that. It's not us controlling the Holy Spirit, it's the Holy Spirit who's supposed to control us. We even see this happening. I mean, this idea of the force. And We see this in Scripture. In, in Acts, there's this story of this guy named Simon, and he's hanging out with the disciples. And Simon is this uh, magician, and he does all these magic tricks. And it talks about how he's, like, really popular, right? Like, he, he, he's, like, the super popular guy. Everyone loves him, loves his magic tricks, and he's doing it. And all of a sudden, he's hanging out with the disciples, and he's seeing them, like, heal people, make the lame walk. And he's like, well, that's cool. Now, that's a magic trick right there, right? He's seeing them lay hands on people and them being filled with the Holy Spirit. And so he goes to Peter. He's like, all right, Peter, how much? What do you mean, how much? How much do I got to pay you for this Holy Spirit, right? Because he wants to add it. He's like, okay, card tricks are cool, but if I can make you walk, now that will draw a crowd. And Peter's like, no, may your silver be destroyed as well as you for asking to purchase the Holy Spirit. You think it's worth money? A, and then B, you're going to like do what with it? You're going to make profit? No. See, Simon's trying to control the Holy Spirit. He wanted to use it in his bag of tricks. Oftentimes, I think, as Christians, we do the same thing. We want to control the Spirit. We want to use it like it's the force. Number two, the Holy Spirit is not vague or a shadow. He's not vague or a shadow. We get this idea that the Holy Spirit is this thing we just can't quite put our finger on, like trying to nail jello to a wall. I can't do it. It sounds like a good idea, but it never works. And, and like, it's kind of a mystery and like maybe like a half dream. Now, let, let me explain to you. Yes, the Holy Spirit is infinite. And to understand the Holy Spirit in our finite minds, we're not going to understand him completely. No, we're not going to wrap our minds around the Holy Spirit and get him. But at the same time, he's not this mystical like Thing that we can't quite get a hold of. In fact, Scripture is, is very clear on who the Holy Spirit is. I did a Google search. I was just curious. Like, oh, as I'm talking about who the Holy Spirit is, I wonder what, like, wonder what the Google searches bring up. Three out of the top four were this. When I typed in just Holy Spirit in Google, it was who or what is the Holy Spirit? What does the Holy Spirit mean, and what does the Holy Spirit do? These are the top searches in Google when you think of Holy Spirit. Like people want to understand it, but it's, it feels like it's this unknowable thing. But that's not true at all. In Scripture, it's very clear he, that Scripture lines out who this Holy Spirit is and what he does. I have references for all these. I'm not going to say them if you want them. I can give them to you. But this is just a quick little glimpse of who the Holy Spirit is. He is a counselor. He empowers us to be a witness. He draws the believer close to Jesus. He draws the lost close to Jesus. He empowers us to put sin to death. He sets us free. He is our adoption. He convinces the world of sin. He brings life and freedom. He gives hope. He cultivates fruit in our life. These are very real, tangible things that the Holy Spirit is active in doing in our lives. It's not this unknowable force. Number 3 the holy spirit is not the third wheel of the trinity. He's not the third wheel of the trinity. Anybody ever been a third wheel before? It is miserable. It is an awful thing. I remember one time I had moved back to the, my, my kind of my hometown. I was living in California and my best friend was still living there and I was excited to kind of see him again, be living near and be hanging out with him. And just cause of we were both really busy after I moved back, we didn't see each other really get a chance to hang out for a while. And one day he calls me up. And he's like, Josh, I'm going to Guitar Center. Uh, it's over in Seattle. It's about a two and a half hour to three hour drive over to Guitar, guitar Center. He's like, I got to go to Guitar Center, pick some stuff up and come back. You want to ride with me? I'm like, yeah, it was awesome day trip. Really cool. Good chance to catch up. So we're headed out of town. As we're headed out of town, we stop at the Starbucks, walk in, get some coffee. And of course, lo and behold, we walk in. His girlfriend is inside waiting for us. Color me disappointed. So... She jumps in the car with us, and she jumps in the back seat. Now we're headed over this two-and-a-half-hour drive over this mountain pass to Seattle. As we're driving, like miles down the road, not, not far at all, all of a sudden I see him adjust the rear view mirror, and he starts signing to his girlfriend, I'm like, are you serious right now? And she's like, ah, laughing, and she's signing back to him. And they literally, for the next two hours, have these conversations where they're spelling out every word in sign language, and I'm sitting there in silence, completely the third wheel in the situation. I'm like, this, just, I'm like thinking, we're driving by these cliffs, I'm about to throw myself out of the car, it'll be better than the situation I'm in right now. It was awful, being the third wheel is Is never fun. And oftentimes we think the Holy Spirit is like the third wheel of the Trinity. We're not quite sure if he really does have a role. Like, is he really that important? I don't know. But Jesus talks about the Holy Spirit in a completely different way. In John 16, Jesus tells us this. He says, nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. What Jesus is saying, he's like, it's better that I leave. It's you would much rather have the helper, the Holy Spirit, than me physically here. It is to your advantage that I go away. He is a key component, a major player, a major factor in our role in the role of salvation in our life. And we need to understand that. And he's not this mystical thing we can't quite put our finger on. He he's a major role player in. In our salvation, we're going to get to that more in a little bit. So if that's who the Holy Spirit is not, and there's a lot of other misconceptions. We're just going to tackle those this morning. Who is the Holy Spirit? First and foremost, the Holy Spirit is God. We need to understand that the Holy Spirit is God. He is not a residual effect of God. He is not a little minion that goes around doing God's bidding. He is not, you know, a thought of God. He is God. In John 14, 16, Jesus says, and I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. When he says another helper to be with you forever, when you break down the Greek of that word, another, what he's saying is another of the same. In other words, Jesus is saying, Jesus is leaving and then Jesus is coming. God is leaving, God is coming. You are getting the same with the Holy Spirit as you have with me. Another of the same. In other words, he's saying, The Holy Spirit is God. I love this passage too. It's one of my favorite passages in scripture. Ezekiel 36, 27 specifically. And God is prophesying through Ezekiel and he's talking about a time to come and he's talking about Christ coming and then what happens after Christ uh, pays the penalty for our sin. And, And God says, I will remove your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. I, God, will put my spirit in you. God's spirit. God puts his spirit in us when he removes that heart of stone and gives us a heart of flesh. When we say yes to Jesus, God's spirit is in us. That's pretty huge. Think about that. God's spirit is in us. The Holy Spirit is God. Second, the Holy Spirit is here to guide us, teach us, and convict us. The Holy Spirit is here to guide us, teach us, and convict us. This is one of his main primary roles and objectives here on this earth. John 16, 8 through 14, Jesus is talking about the Holy Spirit. And when he comes, he will convict the world of their sin in righteousness and judgment. And concerning sin, because they did not believe in me. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father and you will see me no longer concerning judgment because the rule of the, the ruler of this world is judged i still have many things to say to you but you cannot bear them now when the spirit of truth comes he will guide you into all truths for he will not speak on his own authority <clears throat> but whatever he hears he will speak and he will declare to you the things that are to come for he <clears throat> he will glorify me for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. So you see the Holy Spirit he's got this like kind of role this objective these things he's going to be doing. And one of the first things that it says is that he's going to convict the world of their sin. Jesus tells us that when the spirit of truth comes he's going to convict the world of their sin. But why? Why does he convict the world of sin? What sin is he convicting the world even of? It says concerning sin because they did not believe in me. The Holy Spirit is here to convict the world that they don't believe in Jesus. It was interesting when I was reading some, some of the commentaries on this, it was this idea of, yes, we, we sin and we feel conviction of our sin, but, but the worst thing is that when we don't believe in Jesus, because I can be a thief, I can be a liar, I can do all these things, but if I don't say yes to Jesus, if I don't believe in him, then I can't be forgiven of those things. So the Holy Spirit, for, he convicts us of all of our sin, but primarily right here, Jesus says he's here to convict the world of their unbelief. He he convicts us of sin, and then the sin of unbelief, and then he leads us into truth. When the spirit of truth comes, he leads us into truth. See, the thing is, you can't muster up enough faith. You can't figure it out on your own, right? You can't be smart enough, I went to seminary, I got it all figured out, that's why I believe in Jesus. It doesn't work that way. If you believe in Jesus, if you've said yes to him, it's because the spirit has put that knowledge in you. Even Jesus said to Peter, Right, Peter, who had been hanging out with Jesus for years, Peter, who had seen Jesus do many, many miracles, who sat through his teachings, Jesus says, who do you say that I am? What does Peter say? Well, you're, you're the son of the living God. You're, you're Jesus Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus says what? He says, Peter, you did not figure that out. The Holy Spirit revealed that to you. You see, it's this idea of the role of the Holy Spirit is to convict us that we are unbelievers and then lead us, guide us into truth of Jesus. Even in John six sixty five, Jesus says, No one can come to me unless he is called by my Father. Jesus says, You can't even come to me. You're too messed up in your sin. You're too caught up into yourself. You can't even come to me on your own. You have to be called by my Father. And that, goes, that happens through the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit's main objective here is to guide us, teach us, and convict us. See, if you've never been convicted of your unbelief, if you've never been convicted of sin in your life, then you don't know the saving faith of Jesus Christ. And it's not something you can just work up. It's not something you can just, okay, I'm going to believe. Uh, yes, I believe because I'm awesome. I figured it out, guys. I read the Bible, and I figured it I figured it out on my own. See, no one can come and boast before God. I did it. No one can come before God. It is be through the Spirit. And we're all in the same boat, which is pretty amazing. All of us in the same boat. It is through the Holy Spirit. Without the Holy Spirit, we can't even know the truth of salvation. When the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. And thirdly, the Holy Spirit tethers us to God. The Holy Spirit tethers us to God. Romans 8, 11, this is pretty cool, listen to this. It says, if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also, uh, will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. Did you hear that? The same spirit who raised Jesus from the dead lives inside of you. Jesus didn't even raise himself from the dead, It was the Holy Spirit who raised him from the dead. That same spirit lives in you. It is that spirit that tethers you to Jesus. You can't grab Jesus enough, hold on, put your arms around him, hug him. Okay, I'm never letting go, Jesus. I'm riding you all the way up to heaven. I'm not letting go. It doesn't work that way. We're not strong enough. We're we're weak. I'm weak. But fortunately, it's the spirit inside of me. The Holy Spirit, the same one that raised Jesus from the dead that grabs on to that anchor and tethers us to it. I don't have to try to work hard enough, do enough right things, do the right thing, say the right thing. I don't have to worry about that because it's the Spirit who raised Jesus from the dead in me who is holding on to Jesus, who's holding on to that anchor for my soul. It, it's so freeing to hear that and understand that. Romans 8, it, Romans 8 talks a lot about this, or Romans talks a lot about this, but 8, I'm going to just hit a couple points here. Paul starts out by saying, however, you are not flesh, but you are spirit. In fact, the spirit of God dwells in you. Restating it again, you're not flesh, you're spirit. In fact, it's God's spirit that dwells in you. And then jump down uh, to 8.14. For all who are led by the spirit are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness to our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, then if we are children, then we we are heirs. If heirs of God, then we are fellow heirs with Jesus Christ. Did you hear that? That You are sons and daughters of God through the spirit of adoption, through this idea that because of what Jesus Christ has done on the cross for you and in the Holy Spirit calling you to that truth and guiding you to that truth, now you are an heir and a co-heir to the throne, a co-heir with Jesus, Yet you are tethered to God. And it was interesting, as I was doing some research on this, I was, I was reading up on adoption and looking into that. In, in, in Roman times, uh, the Roman culture had a very unique perspective on adoption. And, and where we just read was in Romans. It was Paul writing a letter to the Romans. And so it's really cool how this works out. See, in the Roman culture, culture when you adopted um, somebody, there was this idea that four things were happening in adoption. First of all, that you were getting a new family. That you were getting a new name, that you were getting a new home, and that you were getting new responsibilities. That's, that's pretty perfectly fitting, isn't it? That when you're adopted, the Romans understood when you were adopted, and Paul chose that word very specifically and on purpose. It wasn't by accident. When you're adopted, you get a new family, a new name, a new home, and a new responsibility. See, when we get adopted into Christ's family, into God's family, we get a new, we get a new family, right? Right? We get a new family. All of a sudden, we belong to a bigger and greater family, something beyond us, the body of Christ, which we are all part of this family. We have this amazing family now. When when we are adopted into, into Christ's family, into God's family, we get a new name. What God says, I no longer call you slaves. I call you sons. You are no longer enemies of God. You are righteous before God. Like we get a new name. We get a new home, right? This is no longer our home when we come into adoption into God's family. Now we have a new home, a new hope that we look forward to, that we press towards, as Paul says, and we have new responsibilities, right? No longer it's just about living for yourself, doing your own thing, looking out for number one. Now we're called to do things like take care of the orphans and the widows. We're called to do things like go out and, and 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 preach the gospel and teach them all that I have commanded you, baptizing them in the name of the Father and Son and Holy Spirit. We're called to walk in things like forgiveness. We're called to walk in things like humility. We have new responsibilities to walk in as we are as we become adopted into God's family. And an interesting fact And this, I found this to be true in the Roman culture, in the Greek culture, and in the Jewish culture. This was a something that was commonly understood back then. But if you had a child, you could legally, like, disown your child. Like, if the prodigal son, that father, had legal rights to disown his son and, like, cut him off from the will when he was, like, saying, I don't want to be your son anymore. You could disown your own biological child. But you could not. It was illegal and against the law to disown an adopted child. It's interesting right? that God calls us adopted. It was completely against the law then to disown your adopted child. In other words, Paul's also saying like, when when you're in God's family, you're not disowned. You're never going to be rejected. You're a part of his family. He's adopted you and now you are into his family. So what does a tethered life look like? How do I get there? That's cool, Josh. That's who the Holy Spirit is. That's what he does. What does that mean? What does that mean? As I was praying this morning, I was praying, God, please allow Sunday morning to affect Monday morning. Because if it doesn't, we're all just wasting our time. If Sunday morning is not going to affect Monday morning, then what's the big deal? Why are we here? Okay, that's some cool information, Josh. I learned a little bit about the Holy Spirit, His role. But I want us to understand how to walk out a tethered life to God, a tethered life to Christ. What does my tethered life look like, and how do I get there? It, it's kind of this um, dichotomy of an understanding of. We see that we're, in, in Scripture, we see two things. We, are, we see that when we say yes to Jesus, we are filled with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit comes and lives in us. And we read those Scripture. I will put my Spirit into you. Don't you know that the Spirit of God is living in you now, Paul says. Like, we know that when we say yes to Jesus, the Holy Spirit comes and lives in us. So we have the Holy Spirit. But there's also this understanding and this idea that we are to pursue the Holy Spirit. We read things like Jesus says in Luke uh, uh, chapter 11. He says, uh, if you're, you know, you know the verse, he says, then if you who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the heavenly father give his Holy Spirit to those who ask him? It's this idea like, oh, well, I have the Holy Spirit, but I'm supposed to ask for the Holy Spirit. Well, that's kind of confusing. I don't understand. See, there's kind of two camps that these fall into, and it actually, when you can start to understand this, it starts to make uh, quite a bit more sense. There's two words that Paul likes to use a lot uh, in the New Testament, and two understandings of having the Holy Spirit, but then also pursuing the Holy Spirit. And these two words are justification and sanctification. Now, I know some of you guys are going, whoa, I did not come to theology 101 this morning i came to church like let's not be throwing these huge words around josh come on it's still kind of early i've only had my second cup of coffee i need three more before i'm ready for that trust me it's okay we're not gonna i'm not gonna kill you with this but it's important for us to understand because i think if we can start to grasp this concept i believe i believe this will change everything in your life i believe that this right here can really If we start to grasp this this can be a game changer for you so first, this term justification, it's a simple term, Paul uses it a lot, it's a legal term, and it means uh, that we, the idea that we are holy before God, that you are justified, that you stand holy before God. In in Sunday school terms, uh, which are great because they're very easy for us to wrap our mind around, justification is this, it's, it's this idea of just as if you had never sinned. It's that you stand before God just as if you had never sinned. Now, it's not that you have never sinned, but it's just as if you'd never sinned. Because of the work of Christ, because of the death on the cross, and the work of the Holy Spirit, you stand before God justified. Romans, 5, uh, Romans chapter 5, and really Romans 5, 6, 7, and 8 all talks about this. But therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through the Lord Jesus Christ. Isn't that good news? Because we've been justified, we have peace with God. If you ever wonder, where do I stand with God? Do you ever wonder, I wonder if he's angry at me, mad at me, frustrated with me, does he even like me? I had a, a student text me, a former student text me this week. It was, it, was, it was awesome. It was such a God moment. I was right in the middle of, of reading about, about justification, doing some studying on this for this morning. And then my phone buzzes and I got some questions for you. What's up? Man, I just don't feel like God likes me right now. I feel like I've just really disappointed Him. Why? I'm not sure. You know, I just, I feel like I don't, I don't know where I stand with God right now. I'm like, huh, funny, you should ask. Sitting right in front of me, sitting right on my computer, and I start texting her. I'm like, well, Scripture tells us that you're justified, that you stand before God as if you were holy. It is just as if you'd never sin. Really? Yeah, and I start texting out and I, I was on my computer so I can copy and paste. I copy and paste Romans chapter five and send it to her. So I'm sure it took her like an hour to scroll through that whole thing. Thank you, Mac, for your new iMessage. I just copy and paste and I can text you from my computer. Much easier. Chapter five uh, of Romans, she got it on her phone. And like an hour later, after she finished reading the small text, I get, man, thank you so much. That's exactly what I needed. I think so many of us this morning, that's exactly what we needed to hear because it's not really what we know. That when you get the Holy Spirit, God's Spirit comes in you. God's Spirit is alive in you. So when God sees you, he sees his Spirit. He sees the work that Jesus has done on the cross. You stand before him just as if you'd never sinned. And then there's this idea of sanctification. Sanctification. Like I said, justification is just as if you never sinned. It's not that you have never sinned. So, obviously, in my life, I don't know about you, but I still sin, right? I haven't arrived to this goal of really this, uh, of standing before God. Like, my life still needs work. And it's not that I have to earn it, but it's, it's like, man, Jesus has done this for me. I still got some junk in here. I need to, to work out. And this idea of pursuing the Holy Spirit We see sanctification. Paul says it in Romans, like, perfectly, right? Romans chapter 7. Man, that thing I don't want to do anymore, the thing I want to stop doing, that's what I do. The thing that I want to do, I don't do that. How many of you guys relate? Man, all seven of you guys, the rest of you guys have nailed this. Good job. I don't even know why I'm here. The seven of us. Let's just get together. We can talk. Everybody else has this down. Right, This idea of, I don't want to do this. Why do I keep running back to the same vice over and over again? Because I'm in this process of sanctification. It's this idea that it's this daily thing that you have to walk through. Paul writes it like this in Galatians 5.16, But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the spirit, and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh, for they are opposed to each other, to to keep you from doing the things that you want to do. I had a friend of mine who knew a missionary to uh, Native Americans, uh, uh, um, a, a tribe up in I think it was in Washington. But this, this missionary had, had been able to walk through the salvation process with the chief of the, of the area. And one day the chief comes to him and he's like, Pastor, I've I got to talk to you about something. And he's like, yeah, what, what's up? He says, I feel like there's these two dogs fighting inside of me all the time. This like good dog and this evil dog. And the missionary looks at him and said, that's, that's interesting. Who, who's winning? And he said, whatever dog I feed the most. It's this idea that we are to walk in the spirit. See, the flesh is in us, it wants to do fleshly things, and if we feed that, we're going to walk in that. And the spirit, God's spirit is in us, and He wants to do spirit things. And if we feed that, we're going to walk in that. That's this idea of sanctification is who are you feeding the most? We are called to walk in the spirit to walk in it. It's this idea, like, especially back then, they walked everywhere, right? So when I walk to the market, I walk in the Spirit to the market. When I walk to work, I walk in the Spirit to work. When I walk to my friend's house, I walk in the Spirit to my friend's house. When I walk home from work to my family, I walk in the Spirit home to my family. I don't get to leave the Spirit at work when I go home to my family, right? It's this idea of walking to these places because we can't be tough enough. We can't grit our teeth and just willpower it enough. I'm going to willpower this sin out of my life. And we might have some victories. You might be, okay, I'm going to cold turkey this. No more. I'm going to do it. You can have some victory in some areas, but like all areas of your life, yes, I conquered lying all by myself. Now I have this huge massive trail of other stuff that uh, I haven't even touched yet, but lying, taking care of it. Right? No, it's this idea that We can't do it on our own. You can't be tough enough, strong enough. So, how do you walk in the Spirit? We're going to end today in this idea of how do you walk in the Spirit. The first one is this desire the Holy Spirit. Desire to be led by the Holy Spirit. That seems simple enough, but think about that for just a moment. We often say we want to be led by the Holy Spirit. But deep down in our hearts, do you really want to be led by the Holy Spirit? When it comes down to it, many of us don't want to be led by the Holy Spirit. Or maybe um, more fundamentally, we don't want to be led by anyone but ourselves. I don't want to do that. I don't want to forgive them. I don't want to, you know, go talk to her. I I don't want to be kind to him. I well, don't tell me what to do. We don't, it's not that we don't want to be led by the Holy Spirit. We just don't want to be led by anybody but ourselves. The question is, do you want to be led by the Holy Spirit? When we ask to be filled with the Holy Spirit, when we ask to be led by the Holy Spirit, what does that mean? Well, the Holy Spirit walks in forgiveness. Do you walk in forgiveness? And not to the people that are easy to forgive. Everybody does that. To the people who don't even deserve to be forgiven. Do you walk in forgiveness? Do you? The Holy Spirit walks in patience. Are you patient? Really? At the red light? Right? Behind the lady at the check stand who still writes checks. And what's the date today? Right? Do you still have patience there? Right? The Holy Spirit walks in kindness. Do you walk in kindness? Are you kind when someone cuts you off on the glen? Hey, have a blessed day, buddy. Love you. You're awesome driving 45 in the fast lane. (laughs) You are a great person. But do you walk in kindness? Because the Holy Spirit does all the time. Not just when it's convenient. Again, desire the Holy Spirit. I said this earlier. Jesus is talking in in, in Luke 11. He says... um, Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. Jumps down. How much more will my heavenly Father give the gift of the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? When he's saying ask, seek, knock, a lot of people think that's like to non-believers seeking God. No, he's talking to believers, and he's talking about ask, seek, knock for the Holy Spirit. Seek him. Desire him. It's a daily process. To walk, to be led by the Spirit is a daily process. Paul tells us this in Ephesians 5.18. In Ephesians 5, he's talking about uh, loving each other, and he's talking about all these things. And then he says, hey, don't get drunk in wine. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. Ephesians 5.18. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. But when he says be filled with the Holy Spirit, what what he's saying there, that's not a great translation of that. Really what he's saying is be being filled with the Holy Spirit. In other words, it, it, it's this idea of an action. It's a, it's a verbal usage of the word. It's don't just be filled with the Holy Spirit, but be constantly, be continually, be being filled with the Holy Spirit. And, and so it's this idea that we need to continually be filled with the Holy Spirit. What does that look like when you're filled with the Holy Spirit? What, what does the Holy Spirit what, what, what does he look like when you're filled with Him? Galatians 5.22-26 through 26 says this, most of us have heard this verse before. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Why do you have to put self-control? Against such thing there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have been crucif- crucified to the flesh and its passions and its desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not be... <clears throat> Let us not become conceited, provoking one another. Really, Paul? Let us not provoke one another? Have you been on planet Earth? That's all we do. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another or envying one another. What does it look like to to live by the Spirit? It means you live in love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, self-control. Right? Right? How are you doing with that? Paul's like, do that. All right? You want to live by the Spirit? Do that. Not one of them. Okay, Paul, I'm going to nail goodness. I'm a good person. Got it. Nailed it. Done. No. Do that. All of them. All the time. He says, walk in step with the Spirit. When you walk in step with the Spirit, you have love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, self-control. That's walking in step with the Spirit. But Josh, that's hard. No, it's not. It's impossible. Paul knows that it's impossible. On For you to do that on your own, to live that way, you can't do it. You can't live this way all the time on your own. But that's where the Holy Spirit comes in, Right? He doesn't say, go do this on your own. He doesn't say, hey, just grit your teeth and do this. Willpower yourself enough. Go to enough seminars. Read enough self-help books until you're doing this. You can't. He says, walk and step with the Spirit. Because here's what the Spirit wants to do through you, in you. Not some of them, all of them. And finally, how do we do that, though? What does that look like? Well, it starts with this. John, uh, in the book of John, John kind of gives us a secret to this. Uh, He says in John 3.30, he says, I must decrease and he must increase. See, this idea of being filled with the Spirit, it's like, what do you mean, Josh? Do I go to bed at night and I I, I leak spirit? I have this, this perpetual leak of the Holy Spirit that I need to keep being filled over and over again? Like my radiator? Just constantly leaking? No. No, not at all. What he's saying is, as you be being filled, the more you continue to be filled with the Spirit, what you're doing is you're, really what you're doing is you're decreasing less of me, less of that flesh that we read about earlier, less of that dog fight. That dog gets weaker and weaker because I pour more and more into the Spirit. I'm be being filled of the Holy Spirit. It's not that I'm leaking him, it's that I am losing myself. I'm losing my flesh and I'm gaining the Holy Spirit. To be being filled, deny the flesh. Ephesians 5 says this. See, here's the idea. Here's the kind of kicker right here. Again, Paul says, be being filled of the Holy Spirit. What does it look like when you're filled with the Holy Spirit? Galatians, it looks like you're walking in love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, self-control. That's what it looks like. How do I do that, Josh? How does Sunday morning affect Monday morning? You've talked a lot of great points, but where does the rubber meet the road? It's really hard, yes. In fact, you can't do it. You weren't meant to do it. The Spirit is meant to do it within you. How do I allow the Holy Spirit to do it within me by keeping in step with the Spirit? How do I keep in step with the Spirit? I'm glad you asked. What a smart group. Ephesians 5, 19. 21 says this. I'm glad Paul didn't write Be Being Filled with the Spirit and boop, period, new book. And he continued to write. He said, By addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, by singing and making melody to the Lord in your heart, by giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another Out of reverence for Christ. How do you keep in step with the Spirit? By singing spiritual songs, aka worship, together on your own throughout your day. Paul says, How do you continue to be filled with the Spirit? How do you gain more of Him? By worshiping God. How else? By giving thanks for everything. It's really, really hard to be selfish when you're always thankful for everything. You notice that? Paul's a genius, right? No, it's simple, but we need to understand. Having an attitude of thankfulness all the time, it's really hard for that selfish, fleshly desire to be there when you, when you truly have an attitude of thankfulness. And then Paul had to add this last one, right? He couldn't stop it at thankfulness by submitting to one another in reverence of God, by submission to one another, by wives submitting to husbands, husbands submitting to wives, co-workers submitting to each other's, employers submitting to employees, employees submitting to employers. This idea that if I'm always putting you above my needs, then everyone's needs are gonna be met because I'm putting you above my needs and you're putting me above your needs that we're submitting to each other, we're serving one another. Why? So I can get a raise? So my wife will let me have next weekend off to go fishing? No, in reverence to God. How do you walk in step with His Spirit? It's so simple, so difficult, because it goes against everything that is nature to us by singing spiritual songs, by worship, by giving thanks, and by submitting to one another. That is how you walk in step with the Spirit. When you leave here today, I hope you leave here with a new desire for the Holy Spirit. I hope Sunday morning affects Monday morning. I hope, I mean, just think, what would your day look like tomorrow if you woke up and you did those things right there? If you woke up worshiping God, you woke up, being thankful for everything that you have. You have earned nothing. It is all from God. And by submitting to those around you humbly, you think that would make a difference in the world around you? Then we can begin to realize and make a commitment and make a desire to make that part of our routine. That's my prayer for you today that you begin to desire that, to make that part of who you are, to walk in step with the Spirit, that daily routine of worship, of thankfulness, and submitting to one another. What What would your Monday look like if Sunday affected that? Let's pray. God, we thank you for the Holy Spirit. Thank you, God, that I don't have to grip onto you, hold onto you, wrap my arms and legs around you and just hope I can hold on all the way up to heaven. God, thank you that I don't have to be smart enough to know to come to your saving grace. Thank you, God, that I I don't have to earn that, but Lord, that I stand before you justified and that by pursuing your spirit, you are constantly sanctifying me in my life in us, in ours, collectively as a church. Jesus, I pray that you would put that desire in us. God, that desire to walk in step with your spirit. That desire to wake up and be thankful. That desire to submit. God, that desire to worship you. Let us worship him now.